start with verse 1. And it says this. My Bible will cooperate. Okay. For the law, since it's only a shadow of the good things to come and not very form of, of the things can never by the same sacrifices which they were offered continually year by year make perfect those who draw near. Now, we see that the writer of Hebrews have talked about the tabernacle being the shadow of the one uh, in heaven, and now he's talking about the law being the shadow. So I want to take a moment and talk about shadows. Shadows can be scary, and shadows can make us think that there's some value but usually both of them are wrong. And I'll give you a couple of examples, both in life and in, in the Bible. When I was a, uh, a child, my bed was under two windows. It was in kind of a corner, and there was a window to the front, and there was a window to the side, and the side window, uh, there was our porch. And one night, I w the porch light was on, and uh, I was trying to sleep, and I saw what appeared to be a man moving in the shadows. Being a child, a little concerned, so I cried out for my mom. She came in, turned on the light, and it disappeared. So she turned off the light, went. And then the shadow reappeared and moved around. And again, it got scared, called out. She turned on the light, and it disappeared. Well, what we discovered because of the wind that evening and because of the porch light, we had a banana tree by the window, and when the wind was blowing, it would move the banana limbs, making it look like a, a man. And so not many days after that, we took that banana tree down. But it was a shadow. That shadow could never hurt me. The scriptures also will talk about a shadow. It says, when the Lord is our shepherd, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil. For you see, for the believer, death is a shadow. It is not real. We have eternal life. The shadow simply hits us and has no effect. Now, there is a reality to death. That is after the judgment for those who are unbelievers that they will be cast into the pit and they will experience the separation eternally from God and that is the second death. So there is a shadow. It doesn't affect us because shadows can't, but there is a real one. Similarly, shadows are not necessarily effective. I'll give you an example. If you were to see a truck and cast its, the truck would cast its shadow on the ground, you could take your furniture and put it on the shadow. And the shadow could even move because the sun moves, but your furniture will stay exactly where it is because the shadow has no power to move anything. It's a shadow. If you need to move something, you need to put it in the truck, not the shadow. The writer of Hebrews is telling us that the law was a shadow. It wasn't the reality. It was only to give us a precursor of the real. But that just as the shadow of the truck can't do anything, he's going to say here, 
that the shadow of the law has not a, is not effective. So he says, for the law, since it's only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would have not, they would have not ceased to be offered because the worshiper, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sin. He goes, if the law which required offerings were effective, you would only need it once because then the sins would be forgiven and we would move on and it would cease. But that is not the case of the law. They were required over and over, continually, year by year. So it says, if they were effective, the law would have caused the legal offerings to cease because the worshiper would have been cleansed from his conscience. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin year by year. You see, the difference is the law did not remove sin. The law did not cover sin. It reminded the sinner that he was sinful because every year you would place your hands upon a sacrifice so that the sacrifice would be identified with you and then they would slaughter the animal and take his blood and present the offering and if it were a burnt offering, place it on the altar. But you laid your hands on it, identifying with this substitution. And again, the law was telling us that we needed a substitute. Now it's interesting here that again, it reminds the sinner Jesus, instead of, in essence, if you will, us placing our hands on him, saying he's our substitute, Jesus did something different. Jesus became human so that he identified with us. And in that identity, he then was able to offer himself as a sacrifice, having been identified with us because he is holy God and holy human. And, and again, instead of us laying our hands on him, he being in human form, rendered that substitutionary gift. Verse 4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. See, the writer telling us there was a necessity for the offering. It was to tell us that there was a limitation that we needed a sacrifice, but there would be a substitution, but that didn't give forgiveness. At best, it gave a covering for a temporary time because, it's, again, it is impossible. It's not possible. It is impossible for that type of offering to take away sin. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me, and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not taken, you've taken no desire. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. 
the writer's saying, he's quoting in essence what Jesus is saying in the scriptures. God wasn't pleased and it wasn't what made him happy, if you will, that sacrifices were offered. What pleased God was to do his will. But even today we'll, we'll say, well, well, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. So we'll do stuff we know violates God's will because we want to do it anyway and then think that some kind of sacrifice or offering will render that okay. And God saying, no, no, what I want is for you to do my will. And Jesus is quoted in the scriptures by quoting the scriptures by saying, I took on a body so that I might do God's will. And if you see throughout the, the gospels, it says that he sought to do God's will. Whatever God was doing, that is what he did. So I want you to notice something. When an offering was presented, it was offering that was without blemish or defect. Now Jesus, when he was hung on a cross, was beaten, scourged, bloodied, and almost unrecognizable. But he was still unblemished because he did the will of the Father. By doing the will of the Father, he became the unblemished Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Not to cover them, not to cause us to remember them, but to remove them from us. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will. So Jesus is doing what it most pleases the Father, to do his will. Not to be participating in offerings and burnt offerings, but to do the will of the Father. Wouldn't it be awesome if our church, we individually and a whole, made it our commitment to do his will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. So we're seeing that, that, that God is removing the, this discussion about offerings and burnt offerings and sacrifices because he's going to come with a different plan. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So he's saying that under the old covenant, the best it could do is remind us of sin. Under Jesus' sacrifice, which was done once for all, not repeatedly, it made us sanctified. We became holy. We weren't no longer reminders of sin, but we were told we are holy. That is an awesome concept. And we just, no, that, that's not, no, no. We are holy. Everybody, there are denominations that talk about saints. We be it. Not because I'm special, not because I'm able to, to do his will. I'm, I'm more like Paul than Paul when he says, I don't do the things that I want to do, and I do the things that I don't want to do. I'm in that category. And yet, because of the offering of Jesus, I am sanctified. I am holy. 
he makes me holy. And notice it said, through the offering of the body of Jesus. There are those who during this time were saying, oh, Jesus came as a spirit. He was just a spirit because flesh and blood is kind of evil. So Jesus couldn't have been flesh and blood. He had to be a spirit. So really his, offer, his sacrifices weren't that because it wasn't a real body. The writer of Hebrews makes it plain. Jesus came not only as a human, but had flesh and blood. He came in bodily form. Verse 11. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Again, he's hitting He goes, in case you missed the point, the ministers kept doing their job daily. They kept standing, which means their work wasn't done. They kept having to go over and over and over. And even though they were busy, and even though they were following the law, guess what? They still could never take away sin. No matter how functional they were, no matter how busy they were, no matter how dedicated they were to their job, it could not take away sin. But, this is one of those good buts. Usually it's, I love you, but this is, here's the bad stuff, but he, having offered one sacrifice or sin for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. So we are told Jesus doesn't have to stand daily ministering because his sacrifice was once and for all. All the sins from Adam until the last person who breathes their last, whenever that is, his offering covers it all. And since his offering was complete, and since he no longer needed to daily minister his offering, he was able to sit down at the right hand of God the Father, showing that he deserved that place of power and honor and position, that he sat down. But he's not going to remain there forever, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. God is doing a work presently. Sometimes we think the world is going to hell in a handbasket, and it is. And sometimes we think evil is winning. God will have checkmated them because he's just doing things until he makes all of those, the footstool for Jesus' feet. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. We have this problem, and as I read in, in, in that, we keep letting Satan in our heads, and we let him take away the joy and the power and the effect of Jesus' offering. We are sanctified. Yeah, we get a little dirty, but it was one offering for all times. We are sanctified. We are holy. So when Satan says, you're not worthy, you say, yes, that's right, but Jesus paid it. 
He's worthy. He offered for me. I am sanctified not because of me. I am sanctified because of him. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws upon their hearts and on their minds I will write them. And then he says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. As I say, every time I read this and every time I talk about this, God wrote his original laws on tablets of stone. But he now writes it on something even harder, the human heart. But having once written him on the human heart, he tenderizes it and makes us desirous of to do his will. And as a result, his law is written on us and he no longer considers our sin. I will remember them no As I shared a couple weeks ago, so often we will ask God for forgiveness for the same thing over and over and over. And once we have made a genuine confession, the deal is, I remember it no more. Because the blood of Christ has covered your Now, where there is forgiveness of sins, there is no longer any offering for sin. And Jesus, because he did the will of the Father, and as a part of the will of the Father, he was obedient even to the point of death, so that he offered himself as a substitute for us. And having done that, he then presented his blood on the genuine mercy seat of the Father and sat down and said, I'm finished with my ministry until it's time for me to stand and come back after my enemies are made a footstool. So, When we, I'll use the nice term, when we mess up, and I don't mean when we mess up, when we sin, we've been forgiven. You don't need to plead with God. You don't need to say, well, God, I will do this if you forgive me, because Jesus has already paid it all. Earlier in this letter, the writer said that if you consider of no account the offering of Jesus' sacrifice, then all that there's left is the terrible expectation of judgment by a wrathful God. Now to me, the next terrible thing is then rejecting Jesus' sacrifice. It's to say Jesus' sacrifice wasn't enough. It's Jesus plus something. It's Jesus plus I do this. It's Jesus plus I get baptized. It's Jesus plus I um, 
become a Sunday school teacher. It's Jesus plus I become a priest. It's Jesus because, and if I take and I beat my body to try to drive out the sinfulness, if, it, if you add anything to Jesus' offering, to me, you hold in contempt the offering that Jesus gave. And in this offering, when, when, we, when you go out to a restaurant, except for if you take a pastor with you, because they usually can never find their wallet. But if you take somebody, a, a friend or, or some whatever, to a restaurant, usually everybody will offer to pay. There's been a couple times because we've known this, so what we have done is either told the the waiter ahead of time, we're going to pay because we know the people we're with are going to try to pay. Or there's even been a time when Libby wanted to take some of the ladies out, so I prepaid. I gave them my credit card and whatever at the restaurant. It is foolish after Jesus has forgiven us and offered himself to try to say, well, let me pick up the check. Check's paid. It's already dealt with. That may be a, a nice sentiment, but he already paid it. So what we should be doing instead of trying to pay is be grateful for how great a love the Father has for us. That he would send Jesus to die to pay it all. That our sins might be completely forgiven once for all. And not only has he paid it all, when we do mess up, he's sitting next to God the Father saying, I paid it. I paid it. Well, they've added One sacrifice, valuable for all time. Because Jesus, God, with infinite value, gave his life for a sinful world that has only finite value. And if you want to know how much God loves you, if every single human being that has ever lived from no, uh, from Adam until the last person who's born, were to come to Jesus as their Savior and their Lord. All of those lives all added together would not equal the value of Jesus. The contract he gives us, if everybody accepted him, wouldn't be worth it for him. But God is love. He just doesn't love. He is love. And to say, sure, Jesus paid it, but I need to do something else, is to slap God in the face and say, oh, you can't do it. Jesus paid it all. 
all to him I owe. Sin had left this crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. 